On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility <laughs> and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. <laughs> However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Welcome to our journey through the fifth book of the New Testament. Acts is a story of how Christ's ministry continued through his church. He according to the plan of God, came to the planet Earth, to the land of Israel in the heart of the Roman Empire in the Middle East. He came to the children of Abraham, fulfilling promises. Abraham and his sons were promised that through their seed, the nations of the earth, the families of the earth would be blessed. And that is none other than the person of Jesus Christ, who came and when he ascended back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, empowered his followers, 
and they took the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, and then from there, it spread beyond that. Thomas, the one that's been labeled the doubter, he took the gospel the furthest of the original 12. He took the gospel all the way into India. In fact, there's a handful of churches he planted there that are still there. They need revival big time, but they're still there. Where we're at in the book right now, chapter 20, is following the ministry of Paul, who's on his third missionary journey, revisiting places where he had gone to before, actually twice before, planting churches and establishing congregations. And so our story today begins in uh, chapter 20, verse 1. It begins in Ephesus, where there had been a riot, and he leaves there and goes to the westernmost part of Asia, which is a province called Asia Minor. It's the westernmost part of Asia, literally, uh, the land that's now known as Turkey. And then from there, he goes back to Europe into Macedonia and then south down into the area known as Greece. So verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, you have to find out what that is at another time, uh, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he wants to go back to Syria and eventually to Jerusalem. And so he's going to take a voyage from Greece there, and he discovers there's a plot to kill him. So he goes back over land, back up into Macedonia, visiting the churches again. Verse 4, And Sopater of Berea, that's one of the towns there in Europe, accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secondus of the Thessalonians, they're also Europeans, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus, Asians of Asia. These men, verse 5, going ahead, waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away. Notice he's using the, the uh, pronoun we. Luke has rejoined him now. He's telling the story in the first person now. We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. That's the seven days of eating bread without yeast. You know, if you're going to keep the Torah and you eat bread during that seven-day period that has yeast in it, you are cut off. How many is glad for the new covenant? Included in the kingdom. And in five days, join them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, look at that. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. So, apparently, this was a frequent thing that happened on the first day of the week. It's most likely Saturday, what we would call Saturday night, the beginning of the, seventh, the first day of the week. Uh, the Jews, the Jews, Jewish members of the congregation were done celebrating the Sabbath, and so now they're able to leave their homes and travel distances and not break the Sabbath because it is over, an ideal time for the church to gather together, Jew and Gentile, to break bread. Paul was going to leave the next day, Monday, he's going to get on the road, So he preaches to them, continued his message till midnight. And somebody say, long-winded. I knew of a preacher that used to love to scream in the mic, we're going to be here all night. 
have no fear. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So this is like in a, a second floor, and there's a lot of lamps to keep the place lit. And of course, it's going to get stuffy in there, right? They have the windows open. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Somebody made a joke about his name, said, Eutychus too if you fell out of a window on your head. <laughs> Verse 10, but Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, just like Elisha did on that dead boy in the Old Testament, just embraced him and held him, and life came back into him. He said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak. They were there all night long. He departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. They were thrilled. <laughs> I told people in the first service, nobody dies at Generations. We call the ambulance. He may be dead when he gets to the emergency room, but he doesn't die here. Just like Disneyland. Verse 13, then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Essos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So he went on foot as far as he could, and then he joined him on ship. And when he met us at Essos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Now that's on an island called Lesbos, which has been in the news a lot with the Syrian refugees going there and they're, they're being kept there till they figure out where, where they can go. Verse 13, we sailed from there. The next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. Now archaeologists and travelers traveling um, at the rate they traveled in those days can tell you at that time of the year when this was happening, this is perfect timing to make these kind of journeys, these legs, uh, over the course of days that they were traveling. So the next day they came to Miletus, which is 30 miles by foot from Ephesus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Booths, Shavuot. He wanted to be there. Probably the funnest time to be in that city. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So somebody had to make a 30-mile trek to Ephesus. Hey, Paul wants to talk to you guys one more time. And uh, the elders of the church left what they were doing and went to Miletus to hear from their leader one more time. He had spent three years in Ephesus, and so they really were close. And so this was a great time of reunion it was going to be the last time they see him, though. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews and the Gentiles, how I kept back nothing that was helpful and proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That is the gospel applied for Jews and Gentiles. Repent of your sins, turn from sin to God, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord. Verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He has to go, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he continues, we'll look at the continuation another time. Now you may think, nice story, but so what? In fact, let's say that on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for asking. We're dealing with life's most important questions, so it is very relevant to each of us here. A few weeks ago, we spoke on these questions. Have you really believed the good news about Jesus? Do you just believe that he existed as a historical figure? Do you have some doubts about the resurrection or maybe some reasons to believe in it? But do you really believe that he died for your sins and that without him having done that, we would be separated from God? Do you believe that through faith in him, you can receive the gift of eternal life? Do you really believe that? That's where salvation begins. A relationship with God is established on that. If you do, have you been baptized in water? That's the first thing believers are asked to do. In fact, in Mark 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. And if your answer to those two questions is yes, then the third question is, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? In Acts, we see in some places, people believe and they receive the Holy Spirit simultaneously. Other places, it's separate. Like in Acts 19 and in Acts 8, separate. Acts 10, simultaneous. So have, do you know that whether or not you've received the Holy Spirit? Have you even asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, if your child asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Have you asked? Lord, I, I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want all that you have for me. We continued along those lines two weeks ago. Are you being empowered by the Holy Spirit? Maybe you were filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1969. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for the Jesus movement. But are you being filled with the Holy Spirit daily, regularly? Is God's Spirit like the wind in a sail filling you and propelling you forward to do His will in His power and His strength? Christian life is not easy in fact, it's impossible without the power of God in your life helping you. Last Sunday, is God's word always prevailing in your life? Is it holding sway to your decisions and your applications? Now, I just want to pause there for a minute before we go to today's question. Knowledge is not a substitute for reality. As important as information is, as important as education is, Reality is what it's about. 
It's about application. Just having the correct theology is great, yes, but if there's no application in your life, if God's word is not prevailing in our life, we are getting ripped off. There's three great elements in the Christian life. There's a member of this church who's not here today, so I'll use him for an illustration. He was at home having great experiences with God, great revelation from the scriptures, and one day it stopped. And he came here to visit with me and Pastor Shea. He had visited here a few times. He had said, man, I, 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 it stopped. I've lost the Holy Spirit, if, if that could ever happen. I said, no, you haven't lost the Holy Spirit. God's wanting to add the third dimension to your life. You have the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. You have the Holy Bible, the principles of God. Now you're missing your part of the Holy Church, the people of God, which brings us to our next part. He added that, and suddenly he had the Holy Spirit again. <laughs> Do you live fully connected to God's people? I'm not saying, are you a member of a church? Are you functioning as a member of the church? I'm not saying, are you working a lot in the church, but are you actually functioning? That is, are you doing your part to express love to brothers and sisters? Are you forgiving when someone hurts you? Are you extending grace when another one annoys you? Are you functioning as part of God's people? Are you fully connected to God's people? As I read this story, certain phrases just kind of jumped out at me, and that's kind of where this sermon came from, that relate to being connected to God's people. Now, keep in mind, it all starts at home. Charity starts at home, doesn't it? Here's a newlywed couple. They got married Wednesday, Valentine's Day. My dad, 81 years old, married Shirley, also 81. We call him Daddy Sam. My mom was Mama Joy. Now Shirley's going to be Mama Shirley. We actually think all us kids think she's too good for him. Doesn't he look good as a bachelor? He's lost a bunch of weight. They're on their honeymoon right now. Now they have a lot of knowledge a lot of knowledge of being married. She'd been widowed for four years, him a little over a year. She'd been married 60 years. He'd been married over 61 years. Do you not think they know a lot of knowledge about? But knowing about marriage is completely falls short of actually being married and applying that knowledge, putting that theory to work. And just like Paul said, those who marry will have trouble in the flesh. Guess what? They'll have growing pains. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Living fully connected to God's people is similar. It's not like marriage, but it is learning to put up with one another, extending grace to one another, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Living fully connected to God's people involves personal discipleship. Paul called the disciples to himself. Who is discipling you? Not who's controlling you, but who do you go to for information, impartation, prayer, encouragement, wisdom? Who do you go to? You're surrounded by people that would love to impart to you. But for them to start running you down and trying to take control of your life, we're not running a cult. The body of Christ isn't a cult. We, that's why we meet together regularly for the purpose of encouraging one another. And then who are you discipling? Who are you encouraging when you see someone down? 
who are you helping pick up? This is part of what it means to be a disciple. It involves close friendship, not just handshakes, but close friends. Paul didn't just hug these people because it was a custom. He loved them, man. Three years of his life with these guys, raising them up to be leaders of this first real mega church in the Gentile world in Ephesus. They wound up meeting in that uh, amphitheater that seated 25,000 people. We don't know exactly how many members they had, but it was huge. They had seen great success. They had impacted all of Asia, and they were close friends. Some pastors do not believe in having friends in the church that they pastor, and it's so sad. The reasoning is, well, I'm going to get hurt. Sure, people will hurt you. Sheep bite, right? But people will also heal you. For the 1% that will hurt you, there's the 99 that will heal you. Some of those guys are still hurt from somebody that hurt them years ago, and they won't allow anybody in the church to heal them. That's terrible. That's not the body of Christ. They're living disconnected lives. No wonder we've got a problem in American churches sometimes. Living fully connected lives involves lots of encouragement. He encouraged them with many words. Can you say long-winded? He was a fire hose of encouragement. Okay, Paul, I got it. I got it. It involved lots of time. When he went to Corinth, he stayed there for three months, like a European vacation. You ever have any friends in Europe and they're on vacation, they ask to come see you, be sure you have the time period set because they take long vacations. Spending time to each other. I'm really concerned about the American church. Because of the 24-7 culture, it's having an impact on the, on the church. Somewhere we've got to draw the line. There's a church on the Metroplex I saw on the news a few years ago advertising 45-minute church services from introduction to dismissal. Where are we heading? You know, 20-minute dry cleaners? I mean, microwave? Why don't we just have a drive through and blink your lights if you love Jesus? No. <laughs> We've got to draw the line somewhere. We've got to take some time. That's why I was so excited. How many men came to the men's conference? Yeah. Church all day long here in this room, men. 